Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. I'm your host, MC, and we are back with our top 100 anime list. We're going today from uh, 80 to 71, so we're just continuing on that grind there, having a real good time here. So thanks again for all your support in the other episodes, uh, for understanding what we're going to be doing with the comics episode. If you haven't heard, uh, essentially, I'll just be talking about them here, just very briefly. Instead of the more in-depth analysis I was doing forever ago, it's just real bad with timing and everything to do all that. So it just made a lot more sense just to, to bring it up when I'm doing it for these recordings. So uh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do after I'm done with the top 100 anime. I considered uh, I considered doing a waifu list. I considered doing a, a comic storyline, uh, like uh, maybe f- favorite comic book character list, something like that. So I'll figure it out along the way, and I'll update you as we continue on with this. So thanks again for everything you guys do. I'm really, really excited to see... Uh, all the numbers we've been getting. I mean, we're not the top 100 <laughs> anime podcast in the world. We're not not in the top 50, uh, but we're here. And I'm enjoying you guys, and I hope you're enjoying this as well. So thank you very much for everything you do. So on to other matters. We are, let's see, oh, we're going to start this episode today since I've been neglecting to do this for time constraints that I don't have today because it's Saturday and I have no work and nothing else to do. But we are finally going to be discussing all the anime I've been watching since, let's see, well, as much as I can recall, at least, since uh, I last recorded before the big break and all that. So in order to start that, I'm going to need to go through my list here, which uh, is quite expansive. And the first one on the list is Ascendance of a Bookworm. Now, I avoided this for so long. I saw the art. I saw the main character designs and said, oh, this is just going to be some cutesy little fluff and it's not going to be you know, a serious isekai like I've desperately wanted this whole time and have yet to find outside of like your Aura, Batter, uh, Aura Battler Dunbean and um, the Faraway Paladin. But, you know, that's what it is. But Ascendance of a Bookworm, way better than it appears. Like, Mine is one of those characters, uh, like honestly, she's one of those characters you're either going to love her or you're going to hate her for her motivations. And it's a, a different take on isekai genre where, well, of course, Japanese person dies, ends up in another body, in another world, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, why did that, why did that body she have become empty? Why does she have magical ability? Uh, why is she so hyper-focused on learning how to read in this world, learning the language, and spreading that knowledge to other people. Those are really, really interesting concepts and ideas that they use in the series. I absolutely love it. I would say, though, it's a little slow-paced, so if you're expecting a lot of action, don't go in there looking for that. It does happen occasionally, but uh, for the most part, it's not not that too much in depth. But I'm eagerly looking forward to the next season, whenever that comes around. So that's it for Ascendance of a Bookworm. Next up is The Brave series. Now for those of you who don't know, the Brave series starts all the way with Brave X-Kaiser and goes all the way to, um, goodness gracious, I, j- I just had it in front of me, the Gal Gygar uh, Brave series. Now I'm currently in Gal Gygar, uh, about uh, 17 or so episodes into that, really enjoying it. The others, uh, they vary in quality overall. And I'd say my favorite so far are, uh, so far, are Brave X Geyser and Firebird. Those are the first two. Uh, Gal Gygar is definitely going to be up there if it continues with the pace it is. I'm very, very in love with the character of uh, the 
Wolfong or whatever his name is there. Really like him. The character designs are really great in Gal Gygar. Such an excellent series. But other than that, uh, I am also, I also finished the entirety of, not a series is the wrong word, but like different takes on it would be Cutie Honey. Now once again, this was another one of those series where like I don't know about that one. It's ah man, I, I you've heard me rag on before about excessive fan service not really being my thing, and. When it's done in this way, I really enjoy it. Maybe because it's of uh, Go Nagai's or Nagai or how the heck pronounce his last name's influence. It's just, it works. Because like, it's fan service with a smile versus like fan service like, hey, hey, you know, you know why you guys are in here, right? Yeah, you degenerates. It's like, no, 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 this is, it's more fun. Cutie Honey is such a, and Honey Kisaragi, her real name, such a great dynamic character. Moving along with uh, fighting off Panther Claw. Uh, through these various series, just it's just a lot of fun. So I I would highly recommend Cutie Honey. In fact, it may be on the list later on. So who knows? But from such a high high, we're gonna go to a low low, and that's a uh, Rumbling Hearts, which I gotta say is one of the worst things I've ever had the displeasure of watching that I can recall in recent memory. It's just. The reason I watched this because I had heard it was connected in some way to Muv Love. And recently how I've been deciding how to watch certain things, but most of the times I'm just hitting a randomizer button and say, oh, that looks interesting. I'll try that out. And so I didn't make a series. We'll real big into that. So I said, well, it's connected to it. So I watched that. Rumbling Hearts, because of character designs, from what I understand, is connected to Muv Love. You will never find a more wretched hive of melodrama in any galaxy. It is so bad. Just uh, you know, two girls fighting over one guy, and one of the girls ends up in an accident. She's in a coma, and the other two end up together, even though she was pushing for the girl in the coma to get with him. And all this melodrama, she wakes up from the coma. Oh my gosh, it's not for me. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's just awful. Now, um, moving on from there to, to actual Muvla Love proper, that being alternative Total Eclipse and then alternative itself, uh, they're fine. Nothing amazing out of them. Um, nothing, I mean, the world's okay. The characters are fine. Just nothing really uh, engrossing about. So that's about it as far as Muvla Love is concerned. Now, next up uh, would be a surprise well, I shouldn't say surprise based on who made it, but I didn't know it existed would be the surprise. Uh, Cosmo Warrior Zero, which is a pseudo part of the Leijiverse, which, I mean, using Leijiverse anyways is kind of like, the man didn't care about continuity. <laughs> he just cared about making a story. And it's like the one time that I don't care about that because he just does it so well. I mean, if he looks at something like Captain Harlock or... Um, uh, your star blazers stuff like that like he reuses designs and uh characters and stuff like that but it actually you would think it would be lazy but he does just such a great job with it i just really commend him for all the hard work and cosmo warrior zero was i was very short it was only 13 episodes i think yeah um but it was a lot of fun and definitely something you just go in it's like oh i am enjoying this i love the worlds that he creates are just so engrossing, so fun to get inside of, and just see where they go from there. Um, 
I mean, you got your typical, you know, alien designs that look very human, but I've been used to that since Star Trek, so I'm not going to really complain about that. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, I have not finished the series, but I continually to watch it. I'm watching about one episode a day, uh, just to you know get it in. Uh, is Fairy Tale now? Fairy Tale. I over the years I'd heard, oh my gosh, it's so awful. It's just fan service ridden, and the characters are, have the complexity of a wet mop, and all this. And some of those, I would agree with. Uh, Fairy Tale definitely has that excessive fan service that is more of the hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know why you're here, and we're gonna keep showing it, no matter how much you don't like it. Fan service, but. It also, like, the characters aren't the best overall. I mean, there's several I really enjoy. I love Gashio. I love Juvia. I love Urza, um, amongst others. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk it without watching the totality of it. So I'm going to save most of my thoughts for fairy tales when I eventually do finish. And so next up it would be How Not to Summon a Demon Lord. Ooh, I was so angry when the randomizer got this. Not as angry as something else on this list. But... It's like, ah, oh, fine, I'll watch it. And I have got to say, it is one of the most trashiest isekais I've ever seen in my life. The whole, like, not within five minutes are two female characters put up, uh, have a slave collar put on them. And it's like, oh, it's okay. We really enjoy being your slaves. It's like, I, this is why I can't take isekai seriously as much as I want to love it. You keep putting in tropes like this. The, the happiness and slavery trope and the, the meaning of female characters and the over over oh you want to talk about excessive excessive fan service goodness gracious it's so bad I can't stand it. I think I gave overall like a 3 out of 10 <laughs> definitely I would say not worth all of your times but uh, you can do whatever you want next up though a really spectacular series I watched Magical Girl Lyrica Nanoha and wow what a fun show. It's an intriguing world. I love the Magical Girl formula, but then it becomes not only that, but it becomes like almost a Gundam series and in the, to an extent in the way they have their battles and their fighting, uh, especially in A's. Now, as, as Strikers was okay and then Vivid was whatever, but for the most part, it's just it's, it's so much fun. I, I love Nanoha. I love Fate. I, I'm not big on them together as a couple. Uh, I didn't really see the ship teasing moments everyone else was. It was, took me by surprise later. I think it was partway through A's. I'm like, wait, are they trying to say they're together? It's like, whatever. Um, it's just not for me in that regard. But overall, Nanoha is worthy of your time and respect. Definitely watch it. Great show. Uh, next up, uh, the, the one I was talking about earlier with the randomizer, uh, In Another World with My Smartphone. When I think of Isekai Trash... <laughs> This will always be the first image in my mind. It is so bad. I cannot stand it. The, 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 the MC has all the personality of that wet mop I was talking about. And it's a stereotypical harem. So why do all the girls love him? Well, he's just a nice guy. It's like it just creates that environment of, well, as long as you're a really nice guy, women will just fall in love with you. But it's just a terrible idea to bring up. You know, to young men thinking, oh, that's all I have to do just to get chicks. It's like, no, 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 hold on there, buddy. <laughs> There's a lot more involved than that. But that's that. It, I could talk more, but it's going to end in a hate fest, and I, I'm not ready for that right now. But next up, though, was the Sacred Blacksmith. Now, 
This also has a bit of excessive fan service for what it does, but overall, like the story is really solid. I love Cecily uh, as a character, as our main protagonist. I don't like, and I hate this because I read up on TV tropes, because I was just like, why does this keep happening? Why does she keep losing so much? It's like, well, the anime added a lot of scenes or called change scenes where she lost a lot of fights. It's like, are you kidding me? We had a very capable female protagonist. And you've just got to, like, screw her over like that. I can't stand when, when, number one, you change the source material like that for no good reason. But in number two, you try and say, oh, we're going to have a female protag, but we're going to make her, like, a complete incompetent. That has to be saved by a man. Like, tell me you're a misogynist without telling me you're a misogynist. (laughs) So, I mean, once again, like, going into the the world building behind everything with uh, the demons and the creation of certain... Uh, of our main characters in this show just very fun very imaginative uh, really enjoyed that next up though is my dress up darling and I don't know how many times I'm going to talk about fan service with a lot of these shows I watch but I really loved this show for what it was it was just so charming and you know Marine uh, is definitely uh, some of the worst aspects of the manic pixie dream girl are in effect here as a trope, but also, if that's all you're looking at, that's all you're going to see, but there's way more depth to her as a character than it's what typically is thrown out as those those uh, types of women in series. Uh, because, you know, she really enjoys cosplaying. She has, it, to her, it's like this geeky thing she can't share with everyone else, and her and Gojo getting along with his own obsession with dolls and clothing and stuff like that. They make a really good pair. I was so glad to see them together in that. Such a fun show. I'm really looking forward to season two. Hmm. So next up, since uh, I did hit the randomizer on this one too, I had already seen the original Macross. So I started Macross 7, Macross Frontier, and Macross Delta. All of varying, uh, let's say, goodness. <laughs> Quality would be the better word there. Um, yeah. Let's just say Macross 7 has a very terrible middle but it's beginning and it's end are pretty solid even though the ending is a little bit rushed for seven uh, i love Maline. i love i i didn't know how to feel about basara until like later on in the series like yep this guy's just a complete conundrum in a way it and uh in a way that doesn't get explained kind of like and he, they're no way similar in character but like in this aspect him and the joker uh the joker is just one of those people that doesn't need a backstory he comes up, he's chaos incarnate, he does what he does. Bossar is the same way from a good guy point of view. It's like, he exists, someone, he had parents at one point in time, but he also tried to sing him out and to make it move. <laughs> he's just a weirdo, and I'm fine with that. So, definitely great. Much better was Macross Frontier. Excellent series. Uh, the Love Triangle was way better handled there than I've seen in a while, uh, which is a staple of the Macross series. Uh, love Cheryl. I even love Ranka too. It's like sometimes idol singers get a little too grating for my taste, but she, uh, well, they're both idol singers. But like the cutesier one, really great on me more, which we'll talk about in Delta in a moment. But Frontier was so much fun, uh, a worthy successor to the original Macross. So now we get to Delta. Oh boy, Delta was not fun. I had struggle to pay attention to what was on the screen. My eyes were glassing over. Freya 
uh, is one of the worst um, love interests we've ever had in the Macross series. I way preferred, um, oh goodness gracious, what was uh, what was her name? Um, uh, Mirage. Uh, way better than Freya. The whole, I didn't buy into the love triangle as well. This one, it just wasn't fun. I could not care less about the villains of this series. They were so one note, it wasn't even funny. So yeah, that was Matt Cross. Uh, next up, uh, I did see the newest episodes of JoJo's, uh, Part 6, that released on Netflix. And I'm really glad that they're coming out in December instead of waiting an entire year this time around. I already talked on our episode about what part part six is in my list, so if you want to hear more about me talking about that, then go there. Uh, next up, I watched Arte. <laughs> you know those shows where you, you have a, a female protagonist, and it's like, you know, she's trying to work her way into a man's world, and, you know, the story really goes into, yeah, you go, girl. This is that series without any of the subtlety, without... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Without any of um, anything good, let's put it that way. It it takes place in a Renaissance age where Arte is a young noble woman who wants to, you know, she wants to paint and uh, and and draw and do other pieces of art and stuff like that. Which, okay, premise, but then it just goes with the the whole. You're a woman, so you can't be here. Only men can do this. Which, by the way, is not factually correct for a woman of her privilege at the time. There were plenty of female artists in the Renaissance era. So, yeah, even though she's from a struggling house, she's still a noble. So the fact that they try and go, oh, you can't do this, you're a woman, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, sure, may, may have felt that way, but they never would have denied her anything, from what I understand of history. If anyone has any specific examples, like saying, uh, no, that's actually wrong, Chris, uh, MC, yeah, please, uh, go ahead and let me know. But from what I remember studying art history forever ago, is that there were plenty of examples of women of noble birth coming out and becoming, you know, artists and known and actually used for their work. So, didn't like Arte. I'll put it that way. So, next up, I watched da, 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 um, Umineko, which is a similar, uh, the same author as the person who did Higur Higurashi. I definitely need to rewatch this series because <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. I just, I didn't get it the first time around. And I'm okay with admitting that because there's just a lot thrown at you from a, a meta-narrative perspective, from a, is this talking about how we we look at true crime, forgetting the fact that there are victims and families involved? Um, is this uh, just a meta-narrative about how we look at storytelling? Um, because it starts off with this murder mystery at this house, it's this whole family, they're all uh, rich grandfather is gonna, he's about to die as fortunes pass, but he made a deal with a witch forever ago. And it's like, oh, I'm really hyped for this. See the, the horror aspects of this, and goes, oh, now there's this whole, they're retelling the story again. I thought, oh, is that a loop like Higurashi? No, 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 no. We're just getting different perspectives, almost like it's almost a choose your own adventure in some kind of aspects. But it's like I definitely need to rewatch it again. I ultimately enjoyed it, but I don't think I got it yet. I think some of the things I said earlier are right, but I definitely need to rewatch it and get a whole new sense of the show so I could, you know, give you a better understanding of what I watched and what I watched. <laughs> so that's that. Next up was Lord Marksman and Bonadies. Uh, this is another one of those. It's like, oh, sure, the randomizer hated it. I guess I've never seen it before. I'll start it. Wow. This was actually pretty dang good. And despite 
uh, once again, the fan service getting in the way of sometimes. Not as bad as other series, mind you. But, I mean, it's definitely your typical one guy, lots of girls. Um, with actually not a harem, mostly, from what I see. He's pretty much attached to the one, which I gotta say, for an anime, is quite uh, refreshing. <laughs> so, really like that. Um, after that, I did watch uh, the Gashi Kashi, which was fine. Nothing amazing. I did like, I mean, despite her obvious, I'm here for fan service. I did like Hotaru as, you know, this, uh, this Manic Pixie Dream Girl who shows up and uh, turns our protags, you know, life around in a fun and engaging way, more than, more than likely. I like how she gets along with his friends. There's no obvious, I mean, there's jealousy there between them, but not like a really harsh one. So it's lots of, lots of fun for that. But now we're going to talk about the true winner of what I've watched since last telling you guys what I've been watching. Other than Cutie Honey, this one right here has entered my top ten. Sorry to spoil, but you'll see it somewhere there. And it's Ashita no Joe or Tomorrow's Joe. What a banger of a series. And I'm not going to go too much in depth because... Uh, obviously, I'm going to be discussing it a lot more in the episode proper when I get to my top ten. So, mm, just chef's kiss for how great this show was. But after that was Batum, uh, which standard, you know, uh, you're all stranded on an island and battle royale style. They have to kill each other. It's um, it's fine. I mean, I I do like it. I don't mean to sound negative on it, but it's just like it's sad. There's no second season. It, deserves it i think so really would have liked to have seen more of that so that's that uh i do i'll say you should watch Batum. that's what i'll say <laughs> Oof. and now we end up with another harem series infinite stratus i was like oh yeah mecha series mecha harem okay sure it's awful in much the way that isekai smartphone has you know a nameless bland MC Infinite Stratus has the same he can't commit to one girl they're all throwing themselves at him it's like he's the you know, most interesting man in the world when he's got the personality of a paper bag it's awful I, I never really understood exactly what they're trying to do it's like oh we only use the mecha but in a school setting rather than using them at war uh, okay sure Whew, whatever you're clearly not writing this for me <laughs> which then brings us to uh, Kokoro Connect, which uh, Rumbling Hearts was based uh, with a lot of melodrama. There was a fair amount of it with this one. It's not as bad as Rumbling Hearts got, but it did get very distracting. It takes place uh, a bunch of uh, friends in this one club, and they switch bodies. And how did that happen? Well, what's going on? What are the stakes of this? You know, guys and girls' bodies, you know, boys and girls' bodies, all that stuff. All the different things that would come up in a scenario like that. But then it shifts the formula a bit several times. So I'm glad it did that because it would have gotten a little boring if they'd stayed that way. So that's uh, that's that. Let's see. Next up, uh, Zoids. I did not watch Zoids when it first appeared on Toonami. It was around that time. I think I was just kind of losing my interest in anime so uh, the first series is fine nothing nothing groundbreaking other than you don't see too often 
uh, the animalistic designs. Not to say that there hasn't been before. As someone who's been going mecha series from the very beginning, that's happened before, but like in a very fun way. Uh, I'm currently watching the sequel, New Century Slash Zero, which I actually like a lot better. So we'll see how that ends. Uh, let's see. Next up on the list would be oh, Nananana's Buried Treasure. Um, one of those cool concept, terrible execution kind of ideas, and not uh, terrible is the wrong word. Uh, it's one that I want better for it. Let's put it that way. Uh, basically, it takes place on this island that was created out in the sea where uh, all this buried treasure has been around uh, by the ghost, seemingly, of uh, a woman who helped you know fund all this. She was a treasure hunter back in the day. And now our protag has to go out and find the treasure and also solve her own murder. So it's, it's fun, but not nothing brand new. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I do believe that's about it for what I've been watching. And that was a long time. That was 25 minutes worth. So I'll go into comics real quick. I have only one to talk about this week. Uh, that being the Spider-Man written by Dan Slott. Because I think everything else I wasn't that really engaged with this week. I'd have to relook. But uh, let's just say... He says it in the comics. Oh, what are we doing? Another Spider-Verse event? It's like, how many times are we going to revisit the same story, just told slightly differently? With a, well, it's Shothra this time. It's not Moreland. And in fact, Moreland is actually going to help the good guys. And if Peter had only listened for five seconds, he would have known that instead of fighting him. You know, instead of doing the very rational thing of trying to kill him. You know, well, not kill him, but like put him down because Spider-Man wouldn't do that. Uh-huh. It's grating. I mean, Marvel is just... It just feels like it's a yeah, dying cow that's just milking everything they can out of it. Because they know the comics industry is dying, and the only thing people care about are the movies, and... Ugh. This is just here to make money and not tell a good story from what I can what I can see so far. I, I, I did not like the first issue. It was very set up in a poor way. Just like, oh, we're doing things again, and now Spider-Man War is evil because of Shatra and all this, and blah, 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 blah. I, I can't. Nope. No, thank you. <laughs> that, that's how I'll put it. No, thank you. Uh, so we'll go to our manga real quick. Uh, we have Blue Box. Excuse me, no, Black Clover first. Uh, we get some more training with Asta, uh, with Ichika there. And, you know, him proving that even, you know, without magic, the way he studied key this whole time, uh, he's been able to, he's now he's learned how to actually refine the technique. He can use it in ways he never thought possible. So I really like that, you know, seeing everyone be like, oh, there's no way he can do it. And then he does it. Normally in Black Clover, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. But this was actually kind of fun. So that's that. Now, uh, Blue Box, we end with a bit of a, a King's Game moment there for the rest of them. And the setup is Taiki is told that he has to say who he likes in front of everyone. And I'm sure when we get to the next chapter, he's not going to say, I like Shinatsu Senpai, which would actually, you know, move things forward. It's actually going to be like, oh, I like badminton, or I like all my friends, and blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I wasn't big on that one either. <laughs> I don't know how you could ever tell from the sound of my voice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So there's that. Oh, and of course, right as we get to this most important part of the podcast, that dang old 
air conditioner unit started back up. I thought I had the perfect time to do this. Well, oh well. Here we are. So, uh, in please observe a moment of silence, please, for the Hunters Guild Red Hood. Thank you for your participation. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's that for this part. Uh, next up on our manga list, if I'm... Oh, yes, uh, we have Jujutsu Kaisen. And our boy's finally back! Both of them! Uh, both Megumi and Yuji are back. <laughs> Yuji dressed up in a bathrobe. <laughs> I, I can't tell I can't remember if it was actually wine or if he was just drinking grape juice or something in a wine glass just trying to look all elegant <laughs> and we finally get uh, Angel I forget her name off the top of my head but she says that she's devoted to making sure everyone who was uh, born assume you brought back into their body in the present is killed and everyone who is using a cursed spirit uh, like Sukuna right now uh, or a cursed entity like Sukuna is going to be taken down so they get her to agree to, I think, if I remember correctly, agree to get Gojo out, but at the cost of what would likely be Yuji's life. So definitely add some stakes to the story. Really liked her introduction. Fun job with her. Uh, so that will take us to, to Mashal, where we finally get a lemon chapter after all this time. And she, my girl does well. She's protecting her man. Um, <laughs> little crocodile guy. I can never remember his name. Just switching sides. It's a really funny gag. <laughs> but you know, you see her determination uh, to protect Mash, and then she saves in the end by um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember. One of the other older magic users there. Not older as in like, not you know, twenty-five and above, but like you know, teenage older. <laughs> For what counts in the Shonen series. Uh, well played there such a fun chapter next up we have my hero academia which is um mostly set up chapter we find um uh, deku's second ability it was kind of really hard to figure out in the moment it seems like it speeds him up a little more which he already goes fast so i, I struggle to figure out why horikoshi sensei thought this would be a good idea excuse me, uh, to have that happen there. Uh, well, I can already do that. I was really looking forward when we got to um, his seven ability. So sorry about that. I just got, I received a phone call from a friend there I needed to take, so had to pause it. I think I was talking about My Hero Academia at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, second, second user's quirk or something like that. Um, uh... I'm disappointed. That's why I'm disappointed with all the quirks that have been shown. There are good support abilities, but they don't make Deku that much stronger. Um, I'm really unsure about how this is going to go from here on out because, you know, I've heard different reports he wants to end it within two years, stuff like that. Or uh, if he's rushing things, I'm really not a fan of that. So that's that for my hero. Next up would be One Piece. And wow, what a chapter of One Piece! Uh, Vega Punk showed up in a, uh, a female body. Apparently, I'm guessing it's probably not actually him. If it is, he's controlling it. It's an android or a cyborg or something like that. Or um, so really uh, ups the ante there because there's some stuff left over from Punk Hazard that still hasn't been resolved. So I, I'm very interested to see where things go for One Piece. 
but that's about it for our anime comics and manga discussion we are now on to my top 100 anime continuing uh from 81 will be at number 80 going on the way to 71 so so far number 80 on the list is blue comet spt Lasner. <laughs> sorry I, I just got another text for that same friend i kind of quit getting distracted sorry so blue comet spt Lasner is an 80s uh, anime uh, mecha series where you know earth has advanced into the uh, the solar system up to mars uh, i think it was a little bit further than that but that quickly gets destroyed <laughs> by an attacking alien force imagine that but uh, along with this is one lone pilot who comes from the alien side, A.G. Uh, uh, Asuka, who is there to help humanity because you know he's got you know, a past uh, that gets revealed along with the series of why would he get involved with Earth, and uh, it starts with a bunch of kids on a uh, kids on a Mars base where <laughs> the United States and the Soviet Union <laughs> are still around in the in the far-flung future uh, which to be fair a lot of series thought the same would happen no really saw the fall of the soviets happening in the 90s uh when it comes from a uh, came from a writing standpoint but um and it just their base gets destroyed uh, except for them and their teacher uh they're about the only ones left alive and it's their struggle to get back to earth so there's a little bit of vifom in there that kind of vibe with a vifom will definitely be up later in the list uh, for sure um, this uh, involves them going back to earth as the aliens continue to invade we have a Vichy earth situation uh, a Vichy uh, so for my World War II historians there very big parallels with working with the enemy there and then it's just their struggle to figure out okay how do we free earth from this our technology's way behind theirs such an excellent series definitely worthy of all your time it's i mean it's an anime from the 80s so there's 40 plus almost i think 50 ish a little under 50 episodes around so it's a time sink but it's worth your time so we go to our next anime on the list which is number 79 outlaw star what a tremendously important series for the american side of things when it comes to anime I did not watch it in its entirety when it first appeared in the States. I did have to scrounge out and, you know, go to late night Toonami sometimes or go to friends' houses when Toonami was on. We were having sleepovers. Uh, I do remember one night in particular, like, everyone else was asleep, so I just went to that room and just watched some Toonami that night, and it was the, the episode where, um, not, uh, uh, Jim, Jim Hawkins, right? Yeah, yeah. Cause it was a bit of that uh, treasure planet uh, not treasure planet <laughs> treasure island which inspired treasure planet which inspired outlaw star but outlaw star came first <laughs> before treasure planet but uh, uh that jim uh when he had that girl that he was interested in but she was also working with a team that was trying to take him down and like the heartache he felt when she didn't show up at the very end because he had killed her and he didn't even know Oh, what a tremendously great episode. Um, such a fun series overall. Like, where else are you going to see? I mean, I'm sure there are other examples. I, I know there are for a fact, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. Where you have, you know, with you know, guns and futuristic laser technology and all that. 
<laughs> so, uh, some chick with the sword comes in and starts slicing, thing, slicing things in half. There comes my lisp. La, 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 la. <laughs> uh, so Shizuka's great. Aisha Clan Clan's great. Jean is a great protag. Uh, Melfina is a tremendous character in her own right. I love her relationship with Jean as they're continuing on in, in the star, just uh, traversing the galaxy. He's got his, he's got his special bullets, which... As for a sci-fi series, mixes fantasy elements well. You get key involved at some point in time. It's just such good, solid fun. And, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the show, but I do just remember just loving every moment, just seeing them continue to grow together, continue to explore new places together. Such, I mean, what else can I say? It is fun and engaging outlaw star deserves its place on this list it deserves its place on your list as well so if you have not seen the show if i haven't hyped it up enough please go out and check it the dub is amazing i have not heard the sub but then again i'm mostly a dub guy anyways so please check out outlaw star that was our number 79 this is our number 78 which is a little known series uh from your mainstream fans of Planetes or Planetes or how the heck you want to pronounce it. This show, um, I watched it because, uh, was it, what were their names? Uh, they only do things like in certain shifts. Uh, Podcast of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> That's why, because I was looking at them because I was trying to find someone who was also uh, covering Legend of the Galactic Heroes, which is, well, we get to that when we get to that. But uh, it's so unfortunate. They just do things in shifts, and I don't. Even, I think they may even be done right now. And they were such a great, just really chill and relaxed. Like they would watch the episodes and analyze them a bit, but nothing like, you know, too in depth. Nothing overwhelming. It's just a lot of fun. But Planetus itself. Let me gush about this. Well, you typically get uh, your sci-fi series set when Earth is expanding into the stars. You don't focus on the little guys. You don't go you know, Lower Decks for the most part, which I do need to watch, by the way, which I have heard amazing things about Star Trek Lower Decks. But at the end of the day, like, you expect, you want to go with your Kirks, you want to go with your Ciscos, um, just exploring the galaxy and, you know, being awesome and fighting the Dominion and the Borg. But what this show focuses on, instead of all that, are the people whose job it is to get rid of space debris. In between... The moon and the earth, and all the people that have sent stuff up in the air, into the air, <laughs> bit of a difference, into space, and they just leave stuff behind, and all the stories that can be told from that, you would think, well, not a lot can be told from that point of view, but they find a way, and they do it quite effectively. Uh, we've got a great engaging cast of characters here. Our mains are Hachimaki and Tanabe. And it's the, the will they, won't they of their relationship. But at the same time, uh, we see that he's a bit of a hotshot. And he always wanted to go into space like his dad. He wanted to prove himself. And she is a, not, she's not an ingenue. But you get certain aspects of that. Like she glorifies uh, space from like a more Pollyanna kind of way until she actually gets deep and dirty into it. But she never loses her optimism for the most part throughout the show. Uh, there is a... Well, I'm not talking too big spoilers, but there's a moment there later on where she does. 
but it's her growth from that that increases her appreciation for uh, what her job, what space stuff, it means for people, and what it means for her as well. And we get a lot of really engaging stories of how, you know, you would expect, once again, uh, for a series in space to be about exploration and, and, you know, the human spirit and ingenuity. And there are those latter things there, but mostly we know where we are. We're on the moon. You know, Earth is right there. We do explore Earth a little bit, but they don't go to Mars. They don't go to Jupiter or what have you. Although there is a setup for, you know, uh, a multi-year mission where potentially some of them could join and go do this. But we don't also focus on something that gets glossed over a lot. And I think the only thing I can think of that really focuses on this in the backstory, at least, would be Mass Effect. In the fact that Earth is not a united planet. We still have all these hundreds of nations. I mean, Star Trek kind of glosses over it because uh, we do have the, the Third World War in there, and eventually, you know, with first contact with the Vulcans, humanity unites and becomes one planet. But is that realistic? No, but Star Trek was more the idealistic. This one's more pragmatic. It's not cynical, uh, although there are cynical parts of it. But it's mostly like, yeah, we're in space. You know, the United States is in space. Japan's in space. Russia is in space. But what about the little guy? I mean, they go for fictional countries here. We'd be like, okay, well, United States is funding this moon base, what have you. What about El Salvador? <laughs> what are the chances that an El Salvadorian citizen gets into the space program when you have, you know, the U.S. running things or uh, Russia or China or Japan or what have you? Uh, chances are they're not, or if they do, they're just a token one. So you have lots of characters very self-conscious of that. Uh, you get into this whole thing about how do we just treat the past, like we just discard them. Like a lot of the things orbiting the Earth right now in space debris that they're in charge of uh, taking care of or mementos. Or you know, see people who shot themselves as, uh, when they died in the space. And what that means and all these other really glorious things and the whole uh, focus on how money has destroyed, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for here, the, the spirit of wanting to go into space and explore and see and seek out strange new worlds and all that. It's, it's a hard thing to play as a show, but ultimately its desire is to go, we should go into space, we should explore, but we can't forget where we came from and we can't make it something that loses our luster for our desire to explore and become better than who we were. Planetus is an amazing series. You guys should definitely check it out. That's my number 78. My number 77. We're back in the mecha. And it's one of the OG mecha series. Gitter Robo. Which, wow, some people say, you got this over Mazinger Z? Say, yes, I did. Uh, it's the better series. Even though Mazinger Z is so formative in many ways... Get a Robo is also formative in different areas, so focusing more on the, the super robot aspect of things. And we've got our main trio of um, Ryoma and Hayato and Musashi, and then later on, uh, Ben K. after events happen, I, he shows up in G? Or is it the very end of uh, Robo? I can't remember. But um, uh, what would happen later on in a series, mecha series, is they would have like a trio or maybe uh, a quad, quadruplet, 
That's what I'm looking for, not quadrology. Quartet, a quartet of people. And then you get into the quintet uh, that would become a staple. But it starts here and get a robo for our main group of uh, guys, because let's be obvious what time we're at. <laughs> at the series, uh, at the series' birth, as our main characters here, because not everyone can be Gonagai and have Sayaka along for the journey. Not at the very beginning, at least. But for my Gurren Lagan fans out there, and by the way, it is on the list as well. Not as high as you would expect, but it is on the list. This series, once you watch it after watching Gurren Lagan, which I imagine most of us will have done, you definitely see the influences here with the Gitter Rays and Spiral Energy and, you know, hot-blooded determination coming to win the day. Yeah, it's definitely done its job over the ages to cement the role that it, it did for mecha anime and the way it inspired all these tropes. And then people would then later on uh, remake series with the the way to subvert these tropes in a fun way, like, you know, your Evangelions would do. If this does not happen, that does not happen. Get a Robo is such a very fun, <clears throat> very fun mecha series. So that's about it for our number 77. Next comes 76, because that's how numbers work <laughs> in reverse. And that is Parasite, the Maxim, or just Parasite if you prefer. This show, uh, I watched it when it came on Toonami. I had missed the first couple of episodes, but uh, providentially there was a marathon like a couple weeks afterwards, so I got to catch up on it. So much fun. What a, uh, a very seinen series not not necessarily in your more blood or gore although those do events do happen or uh, nothing really you know sexually tantalizing happens all that much what it does do really well is action what it does do really well is the characterization of our main man shinichi here as he <laughs> loses his hand in the middle of the night and there's this tiny little creature there uh, that is taken over as our titular parasite in the form of his hand because he was supposed to go for the man's brain uh, but because Shinichi was so quick to stop it he now has his hand taken over and is in control over his body in a way that he wouldn't have been if Migi, the name he gives it, uh, was able to completely control him. So, And we get into all the aspects of once again what makes someone human? What, what, are, what are emotions? What are feelings? How do we how would an outside species who does not think the way we do look at us? Are we the monsters to them? Because they're certainly monsters to us. And all these things, you get Shinichi's family, his loss thereof, uh, his uh, <clears throat> his relationship with uh, his uh, girlfriend, uh, what's her name? Uh, Satomi? Satomi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how he starts losing his humanity along the way um, because of the influence of Migi, but also how Migi starts to learn humanity from him. And he gets a couple of other side characters in the series of the, from the parasites uh, that are <clears throat> uh, looking in their own ways to learn what humanity is. Let's see. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I think, uh, I think we see this best to the character of uh, Reiko who is not the name of the original host, but she takes on that name. She seeks to learn what it means to be 
human, like what, and also as well as her own past, because the parasites don't really know why they're there for the most part. I mean, they have this, from what I remember, they have this desire to uh, to control. So it follows her her journey as well to like what are emotion, what are uh, what is what is human. Uh, do I can having a baby with a fellow parasite who's taken over another body? What does that mean? What is what is what is motherhood? All these really excellent questions it asks, some of which do have satisfying answers. Uh, I will say though, it is the pacing is a bit off along the way. Um, not every single character you meet is the greatest in depth. That's why I have it as low as the in the list as I do. But ultimately, at, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, this is a great series worth everyone's time. <laughs> and I did it again. I thought I hit pause. That was that great old burp. <laughs> So sorry about that, guys. That's enough about Parasite. That's enough about my body. Uh, we're going to go on to number 75, which is K-On! Another wonderful cute girls doing cute things series. It's In its simplicity, it is complex. Uh, I did not see this uh, along with a lot of my fellow weebs would have been in, what, the 2000s? Or maybe... Uh, when did it come out? A little, maybe a little later than that. Because I know I remember seeing all the time people raving over this, how it was so great. Uh, of course, you would have your, <sighs> sorry, your crazy fans who was like, oh, we're all about the shipping here. And that would just dominate the conversation. That's one of the things that just took me away from this. Like, ah, oh, I can't do this again. Gundam Wing has really soured me on those type of fans. It's like, you know, I, I ship. You know, it's what I do. But I'm not rabid in it. Like, it will affect how I feel about a series, you know, if a certain girl doesn't win or something like that. But at the end of the day, like, the quality of the show itself should speak for itself. So even if I disagree with certain choices along the way, I'll give an example. Like, um, uh, my teen romantic comedy snafu, or how the heck there's like five different titles you should say. Like, I definitely think that Yui should have won in the end. But the show chose, or the manga, uh, light novel, chose Yukino. And they're both really good characters. Now, I'm not happy that Yukino won, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to like trash a series like that too much. Because like, I, I think I've done it in this podcast itself. <laughs> when it came to Macross uh, Delta. But, um, but unless it's poorly written, I don't see... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't see that as a good reason to hate a series. Like I said, unless it is done poorly. And I would say in the end of Snafu, it is done well. So, sorry, that was my mini rant against <laughs> against my own people of shippers. Okay, so anyway, it's Kaon. The actual topic of discussion for this, like I said before, is one of the quintessential cute girls doing cute things series uh and it's similar in some respects to lucky star with that but you know obviously with a different art style a different premise um the girls all starting this club together <laughs> and i love how one of the biggest running gags through the whole show is that a lot of people will just walk in and see them <laughs> just drinking tea and eating sweets and it's like what, what do you guys actually do here <laughs> but they do actually have a band they spend a lot of time performing uh, I really love our main uh, quintet here. 
Yui is, you know, a fun, fun little, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not um, uh, a ginky girl. That would be the best way to describe her. And then, you know, Ritsu to play off of her. Maybe she's a bit more brash compared to her. And of course, Mio being the best character in the show. And the, all the, the quiet, aloof, uh, but really talented person. And of course, uh, Sumugi, you get a bit of the more uh, more popular, not well, Mio, you could say is more popular than her. In that regard, we like, uh, in a sweeter way, she's like good at everything she does. And then we get Azusa, who's just there like, uh, what are you crazy idiots doing? <laughs> What's the actual plan? It's like, when, uh, what would be a very good example of what I'm trying to say here? I know. Um, that was a loud snap. So you, for those of you who played Persona 5, when Makoto first joins the team, and she goes, and she goes to the, the Phantom Thieves and says, okay, guys, so what's the plan? And they all go, uh, what do you mean, what plan? <laughs> and she has that look of, d d this whole time, you've been succeeding at the stuff and you don't know what you're doing. You did not conceive of a plan before this. Okay, nope, no, no, this is not gonna fly anymore. We're gonna solve things here. <laughs> I mean, obviously not, it's not completely like that, but you understand what I mean in the sense of she, to those of you who've seen this show, of uh, how she comes in, it's like, okay, some, some things have to change here. <laughs> because she's also really talented as well as the rest of them. Uh, they're such a fun group together. They work well together. Any drama you have in the series doesn't last that long. There's very, very few moments of melodrama. And it's, of course, one of those shows where you know men don't exist for the most part. You get like in your love lives and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun in that regard. Um on definitely uh, I've heard people use the term comfort anime to talk about it and I would agree to an extent it's just like it's low stakes all these girls are just here to have fun trying to be part of this band just enjoying life drinking tea eating sweets K on is number 75 next up is number 74 which is mobile suit Gundam unicorn this is an excellent series uh, I watched the OVAs first, then I watch um, uh, like 26 or so episodes uh, that came out after that. Bonner's Year is an engaging Gundam protagonist in a way. It was a little different than everyone else that came before, but good. Uh, I like you need to shake things up a bit. The Unicorn is one of the most well-designed Gundams we've ever had. Like I said, I just love its appearance. I love the system in place to make sure no one else can pilot it but Bonashir. And of course, Audrey slash Maneva is one of the best uh, neutrogenists we've had in a while in Gundam. Especially, I, I just love the way when you f realize who she is and why she's fighting so hard. It just means a lot because of the history of Gundam itself. No. Um, Spoiler, I do not have the original Mobile Suit Gundam or Zeta on my top 100 list. And I know, I know, that's complete sacrilege to a lot of people. But the first Gundam, it's not its fault. Because of how the ratings were at the time, it just ends too quickly uh, because it got canceled way before it was supposed to. So it's not its fault. Let me 
say that out loud, but it still affects my viewing pleasure with how rushed it gets towards the end. And Zeta is Tomino at his, at his not his worst, that would be uh, Reconquista. <laughs> but you definitely see the man was spiraling into a depression that he desperately needed to get treated. And over time, from what I understand, he did get some of the treatment he needed. Like he would spiral like we all do when we're suffering like that. Um, but it just came out in Zeta in a very angry fashion that I really don't like. I, I'm not the biggest grim dark person in the world. I'm not saying you can't have high stakes. I'm not saying you can't kill off characters. <laughs> if anything, I was talking about fairy tale earlier. Uh, the amount of times I've gotten mad at fairy tale for like saving someone when they should have died is <laughs> I, I need more fingers to count. <laughs> but I, I want your series to have stakes, but I don't want me to stop caring because it's like, oh, well, you're just introduced to die. And sometimes you can get that in other series. It's like, oh, well, you're an obvious red shirt. Uh, it's good to see you for like five episodes. Maybe even you'll die for whatever emotional impact you'll have. But Zeta is very guilty of that. Unicorn, on the other hand, will have those moments every now and then. But it's so genuine, and it's like we are working to try and mend the past. We are trying to make things better. And I can't remember if Maneva shows up in Table Zeta or not. Or if it's just, or if it's just the end of Zeta. But it continues on from the themes that start in Mobile Suit Gundam. And it continues in Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta of Zeon and Neo Zeon and all these things. We get our Shark clone in there. But at the core, it's like, the past has affected us to this point. How do we make things better for the next generation until you want to talk about another bad uh, Gundam show, Victory Gundam. <laughs> Which I have come to appreciate a lot more than when I first watched it. But, wow. Yeah. Um, until the events of Victory Gundam change everything we do in Unicorn. <laughs> but of course, they couldn't have known that. Other than the fact that Unicorn was written later. <laughs> Sorry, that's my own little personal diatribe against the Gundam series that I love and adore. But Gundam Unicorn itself is a very fun series. shows a lot of great action scenes, a lot of great mecha fighting scenes, uh, a lot of great political intrigue, which is what you're looking for in your Gundam series. Great show. That was our number 74. We're moving on to number 73. And this is something I've seen a lot more in a couple of people's top 10 lists, but here it is right here, number 73. That is Dororo. 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 <laughs> I had too many rows. It should only be Dororo. There we go. Not Doran Dorororan, which unfortunately will never get an anime for all its cheery goodness. <laughs> With no stakes whatsoever. Uh, the Roro instead, let's focus on the matter at hand, was uh, first conceived of uh, forever ago, uh, back in the day, by late the great Osamu Tezuka, the god of anime, the father of anime. This man could do no wrong. Everything I've read of his, tremendous, especially in the way he inspired my favorite mangaka, um, <clears throat> Naoki Urasawa. His legacy lives on. Dororo first ran back in the 60s. 
And I believe the anime came out in the 70s. Or maybe it came out in the 60s. I cannot remember off the top of my head. But I'm talking about the remake. I have not seen the original black and white version. But the remake. I finished this about a year ago. And fell in love. It's just so engaging. We've got our backstory here of Yakimaru being born and cursed by his father uh, because he makes a deal with a bunch of these um, demons, yokai, to you know have prosperity in the land, and all it would all it would cost him was uh, his firstborn son's uh, body and all these other terrible things that he can act in this eldritch pact. And we see the direct consequences of this is that Yakimaru's uh, legs are gone, his eyes are gone, his um, ability to speak is gone, uh, uh, arms and legs, I think I said that, all these other things that a normal human being, for the most part, will need to use to move around the world, especially at that time. And you, you, these days, we can help a quadriplegic a lot better than we could back in the day. There are ways to be mobile and stuff like that. Well, we're talking about feudal Japan and the warring states, if I remember correctly. So, not the best time to be like that. But Yakimaru, in a very Moses and the Bulrushes kind of way, is sent away by his mother to live. Uh, excuse me, no. Um, it wasn't actually one of his uh, retainers or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. He's saved in a very Moses-like situation. Let's put it that way. And he's raised by this uh, man who makes prosthetics that are way more advanced than they should be at the time. But you know what? Who cares? It's for the sake of the story. We're not trying to be historically accurate in kind of a samurai shampoo kind of way here. And he learns as he grows up that he can regain certain parts of his body by killing the demons his dad made a deal with. However, by doing so, all the glory and riches that they gave are now lost as a result. So it becomes a point of, does he deserve to live? Does he reserve to gain back something that he would have been born with had this deal not come in place? Is his becoming human again worth the suffering of people who for years have uh, lived off the riches of a, uh, a deal they never knew about? So why is it their fault that this happened to him? It's, it raises a lot of very interesting questions that are answered in a very satisfactory way. But why I have it so low um, once again it's I don't know why it just drags in the middle for a bit I haven't talked even about Dororo Dororo this whole time uh, and her journey uh, let me get back to positives because I completely forgot about talking about her um, as this uh, young girl who has this knowledge of where treasure should be or, or is seeking most of that that was part of her family inheritance and teaming up with Yakimaru to take down these demons to regain Yakimaru's body. Um, and, you know, the struggles of being or pretending to be a boy at this time, because obviously, as there are many times throughout history, even today, uh, people who will take advantage of that, especially if you're on your own. So there's that. So back to negatives. <laughs> um, there's a bit of melodrama once again in the middle at, that breaks up the party for a little bit. That's not fun to go through, and not even like it needed to happen kind of way. It's just like, we're doing this for the sake of drama. Um, let's see. Other than that, uh, his dad's about as one-dimensional a villain as you can get. 
I you can you can say like oh he did it for his people like we know why he did it he did it for himself and that's about as uh, deep as he goes compared to his second son compared to Yakimaru's mother so those are some of the things that kind of bring it down for me uh, so at the end of the day Dororo is a great series go out and check it out par excellence now we're on the number 72 and that is Megalobox now if you had asked me earlier when I was first conceiving of this list this would have been higher up however like I had mentioned earlier in the anime I watched I saw the original and the original blasted out of the water uh, to the point where it dropped like 20 or 30 spots comparatively speaking so what is Megalobox? Megalobox well we see our, our protag, Gearless Joe, who, well, at the time is just known as uh, Joe, who's a bit of a street tough uh, with a wild fighting style. He's found by this old boxing coach uh, who is able to you know, try and get him to work together with him to become one of the greatest boxers in Japan. But of course, he's illegal. Uh, he's an illegal boxer, and you know, he's rising up through the ranks, but he gets the match of a life plan. In an underground tournament with the greatest boxer in Japan, Yuri, who, uh, after, after having seen the original series, I still liked him a lot. He's just way different than Rikishi, and in a good way, but definitely second, second best. <laughs> but he loses against him, and Yuri says, "Look, you've got what it takes. Come up to me while we go do uh, megalo boxing, which is where they use these special gears." to uh, fight people, uh, excuse me, fight other boxers in that enhances their punching styles and can do a lot more damage than everyone else. But Joe, being so poor, cannot afford one. And the one he can't afford just kind of breaks on him. So he decides to go gearless, which is where he gets his name, Gearless Joe. And it's the story of him fighting his way up through the ranks, through all the adversity there, uh, with dealing with shadier people to be involved. Uh, to fighting Yuri again. First season, excellent. Second season, when I first heard this was coming out, I was so upset. And this is another reason why it's fallen as low as it has, even though it is good, ultimately. I still don't feel like it, deserved, it needed a second season. It told the story it needed to in the first, and this is just kind of tacked on. And let me say, for something that is tacked on at the end, it is still good but not enough to keep it up higher on the list. So second season, uh, Joe has, and it's one of the reasons I kind of don't like it at the very beginning, where he just kind of has fallen the hard times. And now uh, Nanbu uh, has, uh, his coach has, uh, has died. And all those things he had gained before is lost, so he's now had to fight his way all the way up back to the top. So we're back at square square zero or one or however the heck you want to say that. So he can relive that just to move up. And it's not fun. But along the way, he does meet a lot of really good side characters who help you know, embolden him to keep going. Uh, <clears throat> and he reunites with Yuri again. Their friendship is restored. But at the end, it does fall flat compared to season one. 
But still, at the end of the day, I would recommend Megalobox to anyone who wanted to get into it. I would say the same to all of you. I mean, there's a reason it's on the list. So that's that. That was 72. We are now on 71, our final one for this recording. And here's a surprise twist. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, part one. Now, some of you are stunned. It's like, wait, what? What is that doing on your list? <laughs> How is that higher than part six? Well, my good friends, let me tell you. I love part one a lot more than other people. I think I may have mentioned it before, but Jonathan Joestar is my favorite Joestar out of all of them. And there are parts above this list because part one has a lot of flaws. <laughs> it's, it's kind of how I feel uh, when I describe my favorite Star Wars movies. My favorites are Return of the Jedi and Attack of the Clones. And objectively speaking, those two have the most flaws in any of the movies made in the original six. But what it does is not it sets up the weirdness, the bizarre nature of JoJo's from the very beginning. And Jonathan is a protagonist you don't see often because I think a lot of people don't want to have characters who are so stringently what's the word I'm looking for here uh, morally black and white uh, other than you know, your typical shonen protagonist is kind of going to be like that but not in the same way like uh, compare your Luffy's and uh, let's see Natsu's versus Jonathan like on the surface you could say well they both strive for good and justice but Jonathan does it in a different way his is I'm of this noble birth it is my duty to be chivalrous. I need to do this for the sake of others, not only because I'm where I'm at, but because it's the right thing to do. And he does it in a way far better than them, even though Luffy is a really great character, and Natsu, he's okay. <laughs> Jonathan outshines them both, in my opinion, for his ferocity when it comes to his ideals. And part one, of course, could not be spoken of without the man, the legend, Dio Brando. <laughs> what a stellar villain who transcends time, oh, quite literally, <laughs> in multiple ways, in JoJo. This man, this vampire, one of the best written villains in fiction. And you see from the very beginning, like, he could easily just be this one-note nobody, but, like, he comes from nothing. But he expects more for himself, and he finally gets the chance to go rise above his station, and he's got to compete with Jonathan in order to do so. So he will use whatever underhanded tactics he can to do so, even becoming inhuman so that he can win. What Their dynamic is one of the best in Shonen. And, like, in the same way, like, Jotaro doesn't have the same relationship with Dio that Jonathan does. They're still, you know, hero-villain, and they still establish something. But comparatively speaking, it's so personal between the two of them. Like, Jonathan wanted to be brothers with this man. 
in like in a time where most people would have said, oh, one of the poorest rising up to our station, forget about it. Like he embraces him. But Dio being Dio cannot see that for what it truly is, which is altruism. And says, oh, he's just trying to make fun of me. He's just trying to make me think of me as his lesser. Which is not the case. And it's something that if they had just understood one another, maybe things could have turned out differently. But we all know the end result. And Dio becoming a vampire with <laughs> his many different powers that vampires don't have. <laughs> and then don't get used in part three because Araki forgot. <laughs> such such a fun story to where Jonathan learns of Hamon and we'll learn of Hamon until like halfway through the story. <laughs> and Hamon can do whatever until it can't do whatever because rules, what are rules? <laughs> Which is uh, a lot of people would levy as a strike against the series and I definitely understand where they're coming from because JoJo's has never really had the best when it comes to consistency with the rules. <laughs> is it part three where um, uh, I think it's Abdul or Joseph for both of them bringing up what stands can and can't do and every single one of those rules gets broken <laughs> which you could argue is just like oh they don't they don't know enough about stands but that's just a rocky do what a rocky do and a rocky do bizarre things <laughs> and that's what you're going to get from part 1 get speed wagon even speed wagon is scared all of the memes that have come from this series have just enhanced the love for it. I know they get overused a lot, and some of you are groaning right now, but it's like it's so important to the fabric of the anime community because, what well, the manga community overall first, because this did not get a release until 2012, I believe, as an anime, and the only thing that had come out was a part uh, three OVAs, and that movie and that no one's ever seen in live action. Because apparently it was just that bad. But part one means a lot to me because it's what really, outside of the abridged series, which, go watch that, Ant Fish does an amazing, amazing job. It's what got me into JoJo's as a series. And I've been a fan ever since. So that's it. Those are my top 100 anime from number 80 to 71. Let us know what you think. Uh, is there a particular anime you would like to see on the list? Is there an anime you have an issue with being on my list? Please let us know. You can, the best way to contact us right now would be uh, through Twitter. We're starting from Rogers Guild Podcast there. Feel free to follow us. Let us know that um, you're a fan of the show. and That way we can follow you back because, once again, there are way too many people out there who are unwilling to interact and just want you to follow them, and they'll unfollow you the second you do. <laughs> Twitter, it's a, it's a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and follow us there uh, you can also find us <clears throat> on our website at starvingwritersguild.com we are writers helping other writers it is our job not only to get our own stuff out there but to help you figure out the best, best way to do it for you we offer editing services as well as information on how you can independently publish your own works we are MC Ashley, Barbara Page and John Transylvania uh, once again, you can find our works on StarvingWritersGuild.com and Amazon.com under those names. You'll find my series. We have Lost Time, Deadlands, Broken Veil, and Resurrection Life. All really great, <laughs> if I do say so myself. 
please also do us a favor by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. really helps us with everything. I've noticed a bump up uh, since someone did leave us a five-star uh, rating, but not a review. I'll take it. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> other than that, until next time, see ya.